Green and White Noise is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. If you listen to this podcast, you know that ticket prices drop right before the game starts because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers. They're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. I got to tell you, I got some tickets to a pro wrestling show coming up uh, in the next month, and Game Time is a great place to go to get uh, the cheapest available tickets of, of what you're looking to go to. Colton, you're here for this. Uh, is there anything coming up you're, you've got your eye on? You know, I'm really looking forward to the Quick Lane Bowl. Uh, you know, I think the downside is I'll, ha- I'll probably have my own press pass for that. But, hey, if you're in the area and you're looking for something to do around Christmas time, it'll probably be in Detroit. A team that you follow might be in that game. So something to look forward to. And also there's uh, obviously big Michigan State basketball coming up. The Duke game is a couple weeks away. Game time's a great place to go for that. I tell you, I like basketball, but I love Taylor Swift. Game time is the best way to get tickets for everything from sporting events to shows by artists like T-Swift. It's got an easy two-tap checkout. There's a lot of things you wish you could do in two taps, right? Like clean the house. Colton, is there anything you wish you could do with just two taps? Oh. Cook food. Yeah, that'd be easy. easy. to cook food with just two taps. Write a game story, two taps. Exactly. It'd be very easy instead of several multiple taps on a keyboard. Yeah. But until we have that availability, the best place for a two-tap deal is with Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. So if you need some tickets, download the Game Time app in the Google Player App Store and score some last-minute deals on tickets for up to 60% off. Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colt Pouncey. We are your hosts. It's time to talk Michigan State football. Flashback to the Bobby Williams days and wonder about Mark D'Antonio's future. Colton, how was your weekend? Did you do anything interesting? Um, oh, you know, I saw Joker last night. I didn't really like it. Did you? Um, I wasn't sure what to make of it. Like, I thought it was good. I, I I don't think I'd see it again. I don't think I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I felt like I needed a shower, some sort of cleansing after watching it. <laughs> Maybe kind of like MSU football for some fans this year. But it was it was an interesting movie. It was definitely interesting. It was not. Uh, it, I, I feel like it was something it was worth seeing at least once. It was interesting. Yeah. But I will tell you what was not interesting: that football game on Saturday. Oof. Yeah. Michigan State's 44-10 to 10 loss to Michigan. The worst loss for MSU in the rivalry since 49-3 to 3 in 2002. And we got some voicemails from you listeners that we will play a bit later in the show. Um, but before we get into this game, I want to talk about something that Urban Meyer said mm-hmm. that really stuck with me. It was, it was before the game. 
Fox is doing its pregame show. And I can't pull up the whole deal because Fox Sports Go is terrible to use and the video clip wouldn't pull up. But I tweeted the quote at the time. He's talking to Charles Woodson, Reggie Bush, Brady Quinn, and they're talking about how MSU has kind of fallen off and, and what's the reason for that. And, and Urban says this. He says, you watch Michigan State play, and how many NFL players do they got? That doesn't look like the defenses I used to go against. They had first-round corners, Le'Veon Bell. I don't see that. That's coaches, it's recruiting, it's development. He mentioned first-round cornerbacks several times. He also mentioned quarterbacks like Connor Cook and Kirk Cousins. And, you know, say what you will about how Urban Meyer handles other issues with the football program. The guy knows football. The guy knows talent. He respected the hell out of the MSU teams that beat him and the player development system that MSU had for a decade under Mark D'Antonio. And he can tell that that is gone. And that really sums it up, I think, in terms of where MSU is coming into and out of a game like this. And we can talk about play calling, loyalty, what have you, but it starts with just talent, and MSU doesn't have it. I mean, going back to what, what Urban said, who on this team is an NFL player? I mean, Raekwon Williams, yes. Kenny Wilkes, yeah. Joe Bocci, probably. Maybe Daryl Stewart. Maybe Josiah Scott, but not how he's played this year. And... All those guys, except for possibly Scott, are all gone next year. So, like, the the next MSU team may not have a future NFL player on it. And MSU has one of the longest NFL draft streaks in history. It's something like 80 years. Um, there's just there's, They have just not developed talent on this team, and that stood out more than anything in this 44-10 loss. Um, Colton, you were obviously not watching the pregame show and everything, but what, what do you make of that? And as someone who has followed the team for – two years very closely. Um, you know, what, what do you kind of make of that? You know, I think Urban's actually done a great job as an analyst for Fox. Um, I'm sure it's easy for him to say that this MSU team lacks talent when he recruited one of the best classes of the modern era at Ohio State. But, uh, I mean, I think he's right. Uh, we've talked about the 2016 class and all the misses there. Uh, briefly talked about how other schools have caught up to Michigan State. Um, you know, it's tough enough beating out Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Notre Dame for recruits, but – you know, now you're going up against Kentucky and Cincinnati and, you know, Northwestern to an extent for, you know, some of the recruits that they would always get from Ohio. So um, Michigan State has, has lost some of those battles against those schools. And I'm sure negative recruiting and, and questions about D'Antonio's future are playing a factor there. But I think Urban's right. This team lacks talent and it, it definitely showed in yesterday's game. Yeah, and it, it, it's part recruiting. I mean, this the last couple have been a little bit lower than the normal average um, when MSU played Penn State, there was that comment from KJ Hamler about why he didn't go to Michigan State and how some of the people he knew there didn't think it was going well. Um, but more than anything, it's it's they just don't develop guys. I mean, they, they were always relying on the three stars and a handful of four-star guys, and that really hasn't changed. They just, nobody's overachieving anymore, and that can be for a variety of reasons, but as much as you want to complain about maybe the offensive staff isn't calling the right play, running a jet sweep or whatever you, they're just not developing uh, players. Brian Lewerke has not gotten any better since 2017. Um, stuff like that. There's been a handful of guys like Joe Bocci and Kenny Wilkes, but for the most part, they're just not de- guys aren't getting any better than they were two years ago. So 
that kind of takes us into this game. And there was another thing that jumped out to me before the game. Chris Solari tweeted the, the players who were out with injuries. Uh, Daryl Stewart, Joe Bocci, Matt Allen, Colt Chewins, Tyler Higby, Kevin Jarvis. And when you see it all right there, you realize that that's probably four starting offensive linemen. At least that was your plan coming into the year. Four off, four starting offensive linemen. Your best defensive player who is out for a PED suspension, not injuries. And, and your best wide receiver, Daryl Stewart, out with the injury. And then you lose Josiah Scott early in the game, your, your best cornerback. Injuries have really ravaged this team over the last two years. And maybe things look a little bit different if, if that doesn't happen. Um, but speaking of Urban Meyer, MSU beat Ohio State in Columbus, maybe the best team Urban Meyer ever had, and they did it without Connor Cook. So that can only be an excuse to, to, to some point. Um, but that jumped out in terms of MSU coming into this game with just so much weighing it down. And, you know, like we saw against Ohio State, MSU came out with, with energy and, and focus. They take a 7 nothing lead. Lewerke made a good throw to, to Cody White. Uh, then he makes another good throw on a third down that's dropped. And then from there on, Lewerke was just all over the place with his accuracy. It was a real mess. Didn't get much going uh, after the first quarter offensively, or at least midway through the second quarter. And, yeah, only 10 points. And, and Colton, uh, what did you make of, of the offense and Lewerke and what they were trying to do? You know, I, I honestly sort of expected it to be a rough passing day for Lewerke. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, first of all, Michigan State, they, they've just not played well against top defenses on the schedule. Um, you know, Michigan came into this one, I think, allowing the fifth fewest passing yards per game in the country. Uh, some of those guys like LaVert Hill just seemed to, to bother Lewerke and these receivers. So I thought that would be an issue going into this one, and that proved to be true. Um, Michigan State couldn't get anything going on the ground. And I think if you, you know, looking into this one, if that was the case, you sort of figured it would be a rough day. You know, Elijah Collins had, I think, 27 yards on 12 carries, and MSU rushed the ball 30 you know, what, 30 times and got 54 yards, something like that. So I think you have to credit Michigan's defense for, for coming out and dominating this game for the second straight year. You could tell those guys, like, really wanted this one. Don Brown did a good job putting together a good defensive game plan against Michigan State. But, you know, I think just knowing where these two teams are at right now, I think this was pretty easy to see coming. Yeah, I mean, we, we thought the only way MSU had a chance was, was if it was um, an ugly game. I thought – you know, maybe a lone bright spot, Barnett at, at wide receiver. They found him a couple times out of some punch formations. He seemed to show some explosiveness that we don't see from a ton of guys on that offense. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Lewerke had two bubble screens that were way off the mark. One of them went backwards and bounced forward and turned into a pickup of four yards. <laughs> One of the weirdest things. <laughs> but But there was a stretch, there was a part where they had three true freshman offensive linemen in the game and that they mm -hmm. face like a second and three they run it twice to get like one yard and then i think there was a false start on fourth down um from a, a uh, aj Akuria, not actually one of the freshmen but that just yep. illustrated how the offensive line has been a complete mess and, and if you want a bright spot of hey you're playing a bunch of true freshman offensive linemen they'll get better um maybe I mean, they did they did play well against Illinois, but you know, MSU developing offensive linemen hasn't been a problem for D'Antonio's entire tenure, so I wouldn't exactly count on that either. Um, 
Defensively, MSU gets pressure on Shea Patterson on the first play. That's kind of more of a coverage sack. And they did not really touch him much the rest of the day unless you're counting mm-hmm. Panashek with a late hit that gets him ejected. Um, but, again, it was another example of play well the first few possessions, got a lot of energy and focus. Um, they allow a, a touchdown, 7-7. MSU punts the ball down to the two. And it's, it's a third and long. I think it's like seven maybe. And Michigan converts on a, on a comeback route on very, very soft coverage. Um, they go 98 yards, take the lead, and, and really never look back. And it's it's just MSU's linebackers and safeties were looked absolutely lost out there. The RPOs that Josh Gaddis's offense was, was throwing out there were sucking them in every single time. They, they could not figure out where anything was going. And that was the biggest takeaway for me about the defense. Um, just looking – I've not seen an MSU defense look that ill-prepared in, in – quite a long time then you throw in bad pursuit angles just generally looking slow the bad tackling that's been a problem all year a couple of push tackle attempts on donovan people's jones was probably one of the weakest efforts we've seen from msu in quite some time on that play um i don't know 40 like we said 44 points just just a complete mess What, what what did you think of what the msu defense did um yeah, I mean, well, first, I, I thought this game was sort of like a microcosm of all the issues that have plagued this program. I mean, yeah. you look over at one sideline, you've got, you know, Michigan State coaching staff that features the same offensive coaches as last year. On the other one, you've got Josh Gaddis RPOing the hell out of this defense, doing whatever it wants. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh was not afraid to make a change. He brought in a new voice, a new concept. Um, you know, Michigan got off to a slow start, but this offense is coming together, and I think we saw that against – Michigan State's defense. Um, and then when you look at the MSU side of things, what happened to this defense? You know, I, I think we sort of covered it, but it feels like it hasn't been discussed enough. Like, it's almost unrecognizable. Um, you know, I think the reason a lot of people thought that Michigan State could bounce back this year was because of that defense and all the guys coming back. You know, you got eight returning starters, mm-hmm. some All-Big Ten players, like a couple All-Americans in the preseason. Um, I, you know, you lost – two DBs to the NFL, but I don't think you, anyone expected the drop-off to be this significant. And, and, know, Josiah, Scott, and Josiah Scott was considered a guy who might leave early for the NFL coming exactly. this year. And you know, there's not a, done that. Yeah. And there's a talk of him, you know, is he going to redshirt? Can we get him back another year? The reason why he didn't redshirt is because, oh, he's going to be in the NFL soon anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Let's just play him, use him while we have him. That was the, the thought in, process last year. In, in the Red Box Bowl last year, you mean, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, Josiah Scott has been hurt the last couple games. Uh, you know, Joe Bocci's obviously not out there. But I think more than anything, teams have just sort of figured out this defense. Mm-hmm. You know, Shea Patterson was talking about MSU corners playing back and playing deep, giving them that space. So in the first half, they were taking the underneath stuff. That's how they converted that third and eighth on that, you know, 98-yard scoring drive. Um, they, they were taking what was there. And then once cor- they started pressing and getting in their face a little bit, then they're like, okay, let's go over the top and hit some long ones. And that's been the formula. You know, you already ha- you already know the adjustment before it comes if you're an opposing offense. You start with one thing, they'll flip it, then you counter. And it's, it's a very easy process to understand. Um, good coordinators are figuring it out. Josh Gaddis is figuring it out. He, he figured it out Saturday. And the, just the, the lack of adjustments from the MSU defensive coaching staff has been really alarming to me because I think, you know, Mike Trestle was viewed as a – 
potential maybe head coach in Canada at some point if he kept on the trajectory that he was going. That's what Mark D'Antonio said before the season. We, you know, we hope we don't lose him. And, you know, it just hasn't been there. You know, I, I the adjustments that you want to see in, in games, it just hasn't been there. So I don't know what happened in this defense, but it's almost unrecognizable at this point. I tell you that going with short passes and then adjusting and going with big passes, that's been happening since the playoff game against Alabama when uh-huh. Lane Kiffin did that exact same thing. It was all throws to the flats time and time again, and then eventually MSU moved up and they went along and that game turned into a blowout. So it's been a common thing like for, for a while, but I, I look at this defensive line, you know, thought this might be one of the best in, in school history with everybody that they had all of them coming back, all the veteran experience, NFL guys on there. And this line, they're just not even, they're not getting tackles for loss. There are not minus one, minus two yard plays. There aren't, aren't sacks. I mean, she's barely blitzing in this game. Uh-huh. And, and, I assume the reason is you, you you don't want to get beat deep. MSU's had a problem getting beat deep. Michigan has some receivers that'll beat you deep. And Shea Patterson's been inaccurate throughout the year, so you kind of want to let him throw it around. But instead, he throws for more than 300 yards for the first time in his Michigan career and just embarrasses MSU defense all over the place. And this is the result that you get. And Urban Meyer said after the game that the, the off might've been halftime. I think it was after the game. He, he says that Michigan offense that we're seeing these last few weeks is not the same offense that they were running early, early in the year. There's, there's more tight sets, more tight ends. Um, it, it's not the same wide open spread that they were trying early in the year. Basically he was saying Michigan's offense has adjusted and evolved and Michigan States has not, it has not, schematically is not as a program which is something the athletics nick baumgartner wrote coming out of the game michigan has evolved and michigan state continues to to crumble um, and, and in the end it's a 34 point loss the previous four losses to michigan under d'antonio were by a total of 29 points mm-hmm. so it, we we said coming into this game this would be the final you feel nail in the coffin of like it's done and it's done. This is the one thing you could always count on from a Mark D'Antonio team that they would play their best against Michigan. And they do not have that anymore. And I go back to that that 2002 game, 49-3. to Head coach Bobby Williams gets after, after the game if he's lost the team. He says he doesn't know. He is fired shortly thereafter. Um, which will take us to, again... Mark D'Antoni's future. But before we do that, let's get into some voicemails. We appreciate those of you who called in. The number again after every game is 517-798-6319. Let's first go to Alex from L.A. Hello, this is Alex again from L.A. Matt from uh, Detroit. I'm just, it's hard for me to believe that a program that is built on such a discipline and, you know, tight-knit group and no mistakes is 44 points against Michigan. I mean, we're playing, a you know, a below-average offense, and I didn't expect to win, but to give up 44 points is – in what? In three quarters of the 44, Matt? Three, 44 points, I just – you know, I don't want Dan Tony to be fired – necessarily but 
I just think you have to make such wholesale changes in order to to, to get this program back to where it's because what, honestly, where it is, it's an eight and four program, right? With the ability to rise up to ten and two, and, or maybe or or regress to six and six. And right now, we're just stuck at it's you know below that, and it's just not acceptable. So that's where I'm at. These are two alumni who experienced the best times Michigan State. We were there for Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl playoffs, and so it's tough that that, that that is all in the past now, and the future looks very gray. So, yeah, it's Alex from LA and Matt from Detroit. Go Green. Yeah, I, I think he hits on it in that in that this just does not look like the MSU teams of old. It doesn't even look like the MSU team of last year in a lot of senses, especially defensively in terms of chemistry, effort, leadership, culture. I, I said this after Illinois, but this team is so fragile. And when something starts to go wrong, it snowballs in a big way. And that's what happened after that 98-yard drive. And um, the defense lost all confidence and could not do much of anything the rest of the way. Um, it's, those in, it's those intangibles that helped MSU overachieve as a program for so long under D'Antonio, uh, not pure talent. It was, it was a collective unit. The, the sum was greater than the parts. And for at least basically three out of four years now, that has not at all been the case. Yeah. I mean, Alex mentioned this being an undisciplined team too. And that was certainly the case yesterday. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of unsportsmanlike penalties and, you know, you can't have that in a game. I know it gets chippy out there. I know it's a rivalry game and, and tenses are high, but I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot against a team like Michigan. Um, you can't afford any of those penalties and you're not helping yourselves. And that was really, I mean, like, I guess I sort of expected in a way, but at the same time, like to the extent that we saw, you know, guys like Jacob Panishuk getting ejected, his brother getting a penalty as well, like things like that, you just can't have in a game. So. No, yeah. Let's talk about that for a quick second. So I thought the refs did a poor job of, trying to keep things under control. There was, there was sure. an early, there was an early scuffle. And instead of calling double on sportsman likes to try to just settle everybody down, they called one on, 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 on Michigan. And then a couple of plays later, MSU gets a first down from Cody white, Cody. I don't know. Cody White must've said something since it didn't look like much. They get the two unsportsmanlike likes on the same play back up 30 yards. Uh, Michigan one, got one for flexing stuff that was just like not that, that big of a deal. Yeah, like that was so stupid. It I was, was sitting up there. I was like, you, you gotta be kidding me. The and it was flexing. He, it was a good catch. Come on. And it wasn't at him either. He turned. It was more toward the crowd. It was not yeah. over. Um, I don't remember who the who it was. Yeah. And yeah, it's gonna get chippy and stuff like that. But I thought the rest did a bad job of holding it together. And and there wasn't a ton of shoving and punching and stuff. Again, unless on the field, they were saying stuff that we couldn't hear. Cause I didn't see much of a ta- Yeah. I mean, I just, I could, there wasn't much of a taunting. I didn't think on that Cody white one, but you know, we know he likes to chirp and everything and it is what it is, but yeah, it was very, very undisciplined and MSU cannot afford to do stuff like that. This is not like 2011 when MSU committed a ton of personal foul late hits because they were, so aggressive and physical this was this was cheap cheap stuff that uh was not helping in any sort of uh of form so yeah and and real quick my, my thing is i think everyone in the stadium knew how the refs were calling that game they were going to flag whatever came out especially you know after the flex everyone's like all right this is how it's going to be 
So I think if you're the coaching staff, you have to understand that quickly. Pull your guys to the side and say, we are not taking any more of those penalties. I don't care what you do. You got to run back to the huddle as soon as you get a catch. No, I don't want any of that because that's going to cost us in the long run. That's on coaches to kind of rein that in a little Mm -hmm. bit. And that obviously didn't happen. No, yeah, it's a reflection on the coaches and how much the players uh, listen to you. So uh, let's go to Hanson from Crucial Waukesha, Wisconsin. Yeah, this is Hanson from Waukesha, Wisconsin. I will keep my voicemail this week safe for work. Mainly just because I, I expected this last coming, but I, I, I just don't even know what to think of where this program can go for, for now. At these two, last two games have set the program back a generation. I do not see us being how it can be relevant at all. We're going to lose in-state recruiting. Recruiting's going to hell. And I don't know what we're coaching situation is going to be. Either one, we get rid of D'Antonio's gone, but who knows if that happens. If he isn't gone, uh, who would we be able to re- a hire that would get recruiting up to speed and compete in the conference. So I, I, either way, these past two weeks, and I guess not just these past two weeks, I guess it's been the whole season, but MSU football is dead. It's not going to be relevant again for, like I said, probably a generation Thankfully, it's basketball season. So, I don't know about Dad. I mean, D'Antonio uh, took over the program from John L. Smith and won a Big Ten in four years. So things that, was tur- dr- that was a dramatic pause between Dead and, and whatever he was saying. <laughs> yeah. It, But it's clearly trending way, way, way in the wrong direction. As for possible replacements for D'Antonio, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But this, this brings back to... The, the issue, the long-term issue, which is recruiting. We just talked about the lack of talent on the team, and there's not a lot of talent coming in. The current class is ranked, I think, number 44, which would be D'Antonio's worst by quite a bit. Um, and this, so this also takes me to something that we saw after the game on Twitter from Doug Gottlieb and some other people, was that MSU is, MSU was only good because Michigan was bad. And that is a very stupid and very lazy take. Um, It's not recruiting. It's development and coaching, which we have laid out already in this podcast. Throughout D'Antonio's entire run, they're usually in the range of 23 to 35 for a recruiting class. The 2016 class was number 17, the best class he signed. And almost all those guys are gone for reasons we've talked about before. Kicked off the team. Left, didn't work out, whatever. When Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hope were the coach, they beat MSU for almost every player they wanted. I know Rich Rod didn't recruit Michigan as much, um, but Hope certainly did. And it it's not, you know, and, and there's probably more, you could probably make a better case that um, recruiting battles against Kentucky, Cincinnati, Northwestern, Illinois, stuff like that have been more detrimental than Michigan just because Michigan almost always is getting the players at once over MSU. Anyway, plus 
you only play once in a, in a season. MSU is not losing to Illinois because of Jim Harbaugh. Like this, this MSU is bad because MSU is bad. Uh, yeah. And the reverse is weirdly never the same. I mean, when MSU and Michigan are both good, MSU usually wins. Like the numbers bear that out over several over multiple since MSU joined the Big Ten, basically. MSU is not always good, but when they are good, they're usually better. MSU beat a Sugar Bowl, a Michigan team that won the Sugar Bowl in 2011. They, they beat two Jim Harbaugh teams uh, at, at Michigan. Um, the, the, the problem is not, like, the, pro, the programs can both be good if they have the right leadership and everything that goes with the program. And for for several years, Michigan did not, and, and now MSU is losing that. So it, it's not recruiting – it's development, but Hanson is right that there is a a long-term problem here with MSU football, and that is uh, recruiting, which is not going to get any better when everybody's wondering if D'Antonio is going to stick around. So, um, yeah, it's it's the trajectory is not great right now. You know, talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually, you just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying something like, "I lost my mojo." Or you avoid it altogether with something like, I had a long day at work. Or, sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. Or, sorry, honey, my football team just had its worst loss in a rivalry in 17 years. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED from all the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free... Two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash green and complete an online visit. That's GetRoman.com slash green for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com slash green for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash green. Yeah. Um, real quick, I do want to say shout-out to our guy Hanson. He dropped like eight like eight F-bombs in the last pod <laughs> he sent in. We couldn't use his voicemail in the last episode, but uh, thank you for cleaning it up this time around. <laughs> okay. But he made some good points. Um, you know, you know, we talked about recruiting and everything. I, I do, you know, what you said about Kentucky and Cincinnati and some of these other programs stepping in into, uh, you know, what for a long time was Michigan State's territory in that Ohio region, taking those o- overlooked uh, three-star guys that, you know, Ohio State and Notre Dame didn't really want. That was Michigan State's bread and butter. Now you got other schools challenging for that. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard. There's a pretty good coach in Cincinnati named Luke Fickle that's doing a good job of that right now. So I, I and, definitely and, think that's yeah. Go ahead. And guess where Cincinnati's recruiting class is right now? It's like three spots behind MSU. Wow, that's I mean that's impressive for Cincinnati, honestly. But and, you know we talk about who you're competing against, who's getting type of players, that type of deal. Like yeah, they're pretty close in recruiting. So that kind of tells you. It kind of tells you where MSU is at from a recruiting standpoint. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Oh, you're good. Um, yeah, no, I, I think we covered pretty much everything there. Um, it's, it's been recruiting, yeah. And let's go to Eric from Memphis. Hey, this is Eric from Memphis again. Are we really surprised? Are we? A deficient offense <laughs> and uh, just a team that can't execute in general. My only question is when, how, how do we get rid of D'Antonio at this point? It's obvious that what he's doing isn't right. He is now the Big Ten's version of Les Miles. Um, 
it would be great to to, to hear this discussed on a podcast on uh, on Tuesday. That is not a bad comparison. I mean, MSU's down years are not winning nine games like Les Miles's were, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, and and you know, eventually LSU fired Les Miles a couple games into a season, and you know, the state of D'Antonio's future is the same as it has been. We already know that Bill Beekman says he's not firing D'Antonio. It's not even in the discussion. You know, support from D'Antonio is, I think, one reason he got the job. Um, he's a guy who's not really done this before. Nobody seems to believe he would actually follow through on something like that. Anyway, so what does D'Antonio do? Does he decide to retire and leave the program in the same mess it was when he got it? Or is there a commitment to a long-term change? It, it was only a few years ago that Brian Kelly went 4-8 and eight at Notre Dame, and he... Completely, completely overhauled his staff. And a couple years later, they're in the they're in the playoffs. So it's been done, but this brings back to the issue of recruiting. And that if D'Antonio's going to come back, there's got to be a commitment of like four or five years because otherwise you're just going to be dealing with opponents saying, "Hey, don't go to Michigan State. The coach is leaving. The coach is leaving." And it's we've already said it's going to be a rebuild next year for the foreseeable future. Does he have it in him to give it everything that it's going to need? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I This is just me personally. I would be surprised if Tantonio announced any sort of retirement during the season. I do not at all expect it coming off of the Michigan game. That'd be the ultimate uh, white flag, I guess. Um, so we'll see. If he does decide to leave, who are the possible names. You are not getting Matt Campbell, the Iowa State coach, who's a very good coach, but MSU is not much of a step up in its current form from what Iowa State is. Probably got a better, he's got a better chance to win the conference in the Big 12 than he does competing against Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State every year in the Big 10 East. Um, I think Campbell's next stop is either a big, Midwest job like a Notre Dame or a Penn State or a, maybe USC looks at him. Matt Campbell is is probably not happening. I think the two the, there there are two fits that that make the most sense. The first is Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. He took over a team that had fallen apart under Tommy Tuberville, and he won eleven games last year. He's nine and one this year. Um, has the only Group of Five recruiting class that's in the top fifty nationally. He's recruiting almost at the same level MSU is right now at a group of five school. So if you want to, if you want to know if he were, could recruit, that is, that's your answer there. MSU, D'Antonio was previously the Cincinnati head coach. Fickle's an Ohio guy his whole life. It's a fit. He, 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 he learned from the Ohio state interim situation. He's clearly rebuilt a program that has good infrastructure in place I, I cannot imagine there is much of a be- better fit. That doesn't mean it's going to work. Nothing's guaranteed in coaching searches and hiring coaches. But in terms of a guy with a profile that you want, you're probably not going to find anybody out there better than Luke Fickle. The other option is, of course, Pat Narduzzi, who is now, I think, 7-3 and three this year, actually, at Pitt. They won, a so, divi- yeah. they won a division title last year, but I think they went like 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five or something. Um He's upset number two Miami. He's beat Clemson. He obviously knows Michigan State. Um, the thing is, does, does he want to leave and 
jump into a Michigan State program that needs to be completely rebuilt. Uh, the administration that was around when he left MSU is no longer here. Um, you know, Beekman's been around, but it's not like coming back to work for Mark Hollis and Luana K. Simon. So it'd be a little bit of a adjustment there. And does he want to leave? I mean, he's got a decent thing going at Pitt. We don't know how much they pay him because it's a private school, but um, those are, I think, are the two best options when it comes to if D'Antonio leaves, who you're looking for. Um, there are not a lot of great candidates out there in this coaching cycle. I, I cover coaching changes. And um, outside of maybe Matt Campbell, Mike Norvell at Memphis, um, there's not a ton of, there's not a lot of hot Mac coaches or offensive coordinators who you're ready to hand the program to that's really going to change things around. So that's what I look at when in the state of the program, um, the state of the head coaching position, basically. So yep. I don't know where that goes. Colton, you're obviously there in East Lansing, but um, what what do you kind of just feel about the whole thing? I mean, so you did a good job mentioning, okay, if, if he does step down, what does this look like? Who are these names? I, I think those are the two, you know, Narduzzi and Fickle probably make the most sense of anyone that they could realistically get. Um, but if D'Antonio does come back, which it sounds like he wants to and, and Beekman wants him back, um, I think he needs to come out and say he's the guy to get this back on check. And maybe he, he thinks he doesn't need to say anything because of his track record and everything he's done here. But I think it could go a long way with the fan base, which is kind of turned on him here this, this season. It can go a long way with recruits. Um, Cause I'm sure there's negative recruiting going on in the background from other coaches saying, Hey, well, you know, who knows if he's going to be back or how long he's there. So if he comes out, it doesn't even have to say like, hey, you know, I'm coming back. It, it could just be, I'm the guy to lead this program. I'm going to get things turned around. I'm, I see myself here. Because um, if that's the way he feels, he needs to come out and say that. I want 100% yeah. agree with that. If, yeah. if he, maybe he hasn't made his decision yet, but if, yeah. if he is deciding, and it apparently is his decision, if he's deciding to come back, he needs to say that right now. And if he does come back, he's got to commit for at least – two to three years because if he brings in a new staff, well, not publicly. I mean, publicly you got to say you'll sure. be here forever, Sure, but realistically, yeah, you're <laughs> yes. right. Two, three years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you can't just say I'm back for one more year and then, okay, I'm, I'm actually retired. Um, but if he, if he does come back, you know, and he decides to bring in a new staff and actually make some changes that he's never made before, he's, you've got to give it time to, to kind of see it through because the future of this roster is in the first and second year guys. It's not, the, the redshirt juniors or, you know, the, the seniors next year, those guys, I don't think we'll get it done. I think that's going to be more of a rebuild than anything else, um, especially with the schedule that they'll have. It's going to be pretty tough. Um, but I think the future is in those first and second year guys like Dobbs and Samak and Duplain and Barnett and Mosley. And, you know, Elijah Collins will be a third year guy, but he's a, a redshirt freshman right now. So, you know, I, I think the future is in the young players. Those guys won't be at their peak for another two years. So I think, if they're going to get back to that 10-win range, it's going to be with that group, but those guys might not be fully there until, uh, you know, 2021. So I think if he does come back and he does decide to make changes, he's got to stick it through at least two to three more years. And then maybe he'll have that opportunity to ride out right off into the sunset and retire on his own terms and kind of salvage what he's built. Yeah, and, and t you know, it may be best time-wise now, you know, like 
Luke Fickle will probably be a very sought after coach. Um, if it's not MSU. So if you yeah. feel like this is the best chance you can get the best available guy, uh, we'll see. And, um, you know, again, we, it's, uh, appears to be up to D'Antonio. We don't know what kind of conversations are going on right now, but that's that. So let's, I guess, technically, I guess we got to do this cause we do it every game, but the, Le- the Le'Veon Bell, how did he do that moment of the game? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I guess I'll go with Barnett had a really good catch on a third down that to set up a fourth down that they converted, but it was a really quick ball that he stagged pretty quickly. I thought he looked, uh, I thought he looked all right, Barnett. I don't know. Do you have any amazing moments from MSU football in this game? <laughs> uh, there weren't a ton. No. Uh, I, I like the play design on, on the lone touchdown that they scored um, to, to Max Rosenthal. That is uh, Chris Solari's guy. He's been a strong Max Rosenthal supporter since day one. So I'll give him some credit for that. He actually predicted that play as it was happening. Um, so, that was, I mean, that was a pretty impressive. I think when you saw that, it's like, okay, they're, they're up 7-0. Okay, that was a nice drive. Let's see if they can keep it up. And, of course, they did not. But I, yeah. <laughs> I think that was a solid play. I'll, I, I, think I, it, I think it was the same play for kind of the game-clinching touchdown against Michigan in 2008 when they ran up uh, to the – Threw a pass to the fullback in the flat to Josh Rouse. Kind of a similar deal. Uh, John John Smith screwing it up. Moment of the game. Plenty to choose from. I'm going to go with allowing that. uh, Was it third and seven or third and eight from basically Michigan's five yard line playing off coverage. It's weird because the defensive backs, they don't press even for several years now. They don't often press, but even when they line up to press, they do not physically press. I, I, I think this has been an issue for a number of years now is that, the MSU cornerbacks especially are just not physically strong enough. Like Darquez Denard and Trey Waynes and Johnny Adams used to be, um, they're, they're, they'll line up like they're going to press, but not press and let a guy run freely. And then there was one time, I don't remember who it was, um, tried actually to press, kind of got pushed down pretty easily and Michigan got a long catch out of it. So uh, quarterback is, is an issue the way they, scheme up the cornerbacks has been weird but uh i'll go with that third and third down conversion on the 98 yard drive yeah i mean the, the tackling was atrocious the angles were atrocious i mean the pursuit like it, all of it was just terrible and i know there are some guys that you know noah harvey probably wasn't expected to play as much as he is now but I mean, he was getting kind of embarrassed out there on those RPOs, and yeah. they just really don't have the speed out there to to kind of deal with that. And it, it definitely showed up against this Michigan team and everything that they do offensively. So that, that was an issue the entire game. Um, the you know the, the push tackles that you can't have that. Come on, that at least bad. attempt to wrap up. If two you can't guys, get there. two of them, did. two guys, two guys. Yeah. So that was pretty embarrassing. I think that was just kind of a low effort type of deal. And hey, we're already out of this game. Um, you know, and then another thing that kind of stood out to me, and I understand both sides of it. Um, you know, keeping Brian Lewerke in that game, like late, you know, you're down 34 points. I get it; it's his last Michigan game. He's a senior. You want you don't want to like yank him and embarrass him or whatever. They've already done that a couple times this year, but I don't know. Like at some point, you got to get some of these younger guys some experience. There's two games left in the regular season. You don't know if you're gonna make it to a bowl game or not at this point. Um, I think you you feel good about – I don't know if feel good is the right word, but I think if you get up big against Rutgers, which is a whole other thing, but if they do manage a big lead and then they can put some guys in the fourth quarter, that that might make up for it. But I think any chance you get, if you're down or you're up big, 
you got to put in some of these younger quarterbacks and see what they can do. Um, especially Theo Dick, because we haven't seen much of him. He's got all three career passes. The, the only yeah. he'll be a starter. He could be a starter next year. So. The only the only thing we know about Theo Day is that Antonio pulled him because he messed up a play. So that's yes, not either. I, which I, is awful. I, in terms of the Michigan game, I don't know. But in terms of the next two games, if if Lorkey is the guy you think can gives you the best chance to win, you play him because you need those bowl practices. That's more important than getting day in for a couple of series in a game I think sure. and you can do it in the bowl game so I wouldn't necessarily be clamoring for the young quarterbacks in this game because these are now two must win games if you want to get to that uh, deal so we'll see what that is um, the Mike Sadler punt of the game I think we'll all go with the, the Hartbarger one that got downed at the two yard line great punt you know that uh, MSU will miss Hartbarger when he uh, graduates after this year so Colton was there anything else Coming out of this game that uh, you took away from the post game, yeah, you know, there there wasn't a ton of things to be positive about after this. But if you're looking for a bright spot, I thought it was definitely Antoine Simmons and the way he carried himself. Uh, you know, he is the local kid. Uh, you know, he went to school at Pioneer in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, he was one of the players that they brought out to kind of represent the team after a loss like this. And um, honestly, there are some guys that are just kind of going through the motions, you know, at, at this point, I think, you know, they're running out of answers, they're running out of things to say, it's it's all things that we've heard before, but I think Antoine Simmons is one of the few guys that, you know, he is showing emotion out there. You could tell he, more than a lot of other guys might, maybe, um, cares about uh, these losses, like, it, it's getting to him, it's eating away at him, he doesn't like this, he doesn't like to lose, and I think he kind of made that clear yesterday when he was talking to us, Um and I just came away really impressed with the way he carries himself and how he represents the team and how he, he speaks on behalf of his teammates and puts other people in front of him first. I know that's all a cliche, but I think uh, in a lot of ways, Simmons is the guy that you want leading this program going forward. And I think he'll be a captain next year. So I just came away really impressed with him. And um, we can end with a, a quick soundbite from him, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yep, that uh, we'll, get, we'll end with that. Um, make sure you check out, even if you're upset about the loss, Colton – and Nick and Austin had some good stuff from the game on The Athletic, and we'll continue to have more this week on Rutgers, uh, previewing Rutgers. And we may have a special guest for the Thursday preview pod, which may not actually be much about Rutgers and more about uh, some other stuff. So keep an eye out for that for you Athletic subscribers on Thursday. That'll do it here. Uh, please give us any sort of uh, feedback. We always appreciate it. Um, support is uh we are grateful for that so for colton pouncey i am chris vanini thanks to our producer mike zimmerman shout out to the road dog jesse james we will see you on the other side and send you out with some antoine simmons i mean it's hard you know but uh, we just gotta keep going and keep moving you know and staying positive so yeah. it seems like an overstatement but do you still believe in the direction of, of the course program? i do of course i do you know of course I do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have came here if I didn't believe in Coach D or the coaching staff or my teammates. You know, I still believe in, believe in this program. I still love every single person within this program. I mean, you guys are asking me a lot of questions about what we're going to do from here on out. You know, I mean, we got two more games. You know, I mean, if we sit here and we cry and we mope, I mean, we're going to drop those two games like that. You know, so we got to stay positive. We got two more games. And, you know, even when the season ends, I mean, yeah, we didn't finish how we wanted to. But this offseason has to be like, has to be, it has to mean something to us. You know, it really has to mean something to us. It has to get us going. It has to make us mad, you know. You know, we got two more games. You know, I mean, there's still things to play for. I mean, we can get these two wins and be bowl eligible. 
you know, I mean, we still have seniors, guys like Kenny, Raekwon, Mike, um, Brian. You know what I'm saying? We, we still got guys like that who are fighting, you know, fighting for, you know, go to the next level, guys fighting to graduate. You know what I'm saying? So we have to just keep fighting and, and stand positive. You know, life's not over. Football's not over. So you just got to keep going.